Thank you for joining the Element Church Podcast, where we exist to guide people to experience life to its fullest, connect into meaningful relationships, and make a lasting impact. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope this message inspires and strengthens your faith. I want to read to you a portion of a national address that was given to our country, the United States of America, by one of our political leaders. Here's a portion of of this address. It's clear that the true problems of our nation are much deeper than gasoline lines or energy shortages, deeper even than inflation or recession. It is a crisis of confidence. We can see this crisis in the growing doubt about the meaning of our own lives and in the loss of a unity of purpose for the future of our nation. In a nation that was proud of hard work, strong families, close-knit communities, and our faith in God, too many of us now tend to worship self-indulgence and consumption. Human identity is no longer defined by what one does, but by what one owns. But we've discovered that owning things and consuming things does not satisfy our longing for meaning. We've learned that piling up material goods cannot fill the emptiness of our lives, which have no confidence or purpose. Sounds like something that President Biden could have said a few weeks ago when there was gasoline lines and shortages. But it wasn't said by President Biden, wasn't said by President Trump, you know, in the last four years, wasn't said by any leader in, the, in this century that we are in. That, what I read to you, is a portion of a national address delivered by President Jimmy Carter on July 15th, 1979, in response to the energy crisis our country was in. And these two sentences sum everything up. He said this, it's on the screens. Too many of us now tend to worship self-indulgence and consumption. Human identity is no longer defined by what one does, but by what one owns. And yes, if and when we we choose to live that way, it can keep us from confidence and purpose in our lives. But the real danger is not just a loss of confidence or purpose. The real danger when we choose to live self-indulgent lives is it can actually keep us from being close to God. And that's what I want to talk about today as we continue the sermon series we've been in called Bruh. My name is Jeff Manis. Um, if you're new with us, uh, don't know who I am. I'm the lead pastor here. But whether you're new or someone who's called Element Church home for a long time, I'm so thankful uh, that all of you have chosen to engage with us today, including anybody who's joining us online or on a video screen somewhere. Uh, so glad you're with us as well. A couple of pieces of important information for you before we uh, jump back into the actual message here. Next Sunday, we told you, September 5th, uh, we have no in-person gatherings online only as we are observing a Sabbath Sunday. Four Sundays this year, we wanted to collectively together as an entire church model the practice of the Sabbath where we stop all of our normal work and activity and rest in, delight in, and worship God. And we wanted to model that by giving all of our volunteers, even our building, our property, our equipment, a rest. And so no in-person church next Sunday. We are providing a short online devotional for you 
on our YouTube channel or on our website that you can engage in with your family, with your friends, with your community. And we would encourage you to do that next Sunday, September 5th, Sabbath Sunday, no in-person gatherings. And then also on the the following Sunday, September 12th, we are going to be moving from three Sunday morning worship experiences back to two Sunday morning experiences at 9 and 11 a.m. We are doing away with the 1230 service on September 12th. It's been one year since we reopened to our in-person gatherings in this new COVID world in which we live. And while we hoped to keep the 1230 uh, service long-term, right now it's just not a clear need as we are able to fit everyone who's attending into the two services that we have. And ultimately, we just don't have the volunteer power to pull off three services. That's just reality. It's where we're at right now. And so we just don't, we can't do that. We have yet to be able to offer our e-kids, our kids ministry. We have yet to offer that to the 1230 service. And we have had first-time guests show up with their kids not knowing we don't have anything for their children. And we hate seeing that. And so it just made it a little bit easier just to do away with that. The volunteers we do have are incredible. They're fantastic. But it's just a constant struggle, weekly struggle, to fully staff all of our volunteer teams right now for those three services. So after we prayed about it, and under the advisement of our leadership council and their approval, we decided it was best to move to two services during this season that we're in. So again, that's Sunday, September 12th. Only two services, 9 and 11 a.m., full e-kids ministry, all of our volunteer teams. I believe we got plans to bring coffee back, praise the Lord. And so, yeah, so we do have, we, going back to two helps us do that. Um, so, yeah, now everybody's on board for two services. Coffee! So... The good news is, on the 12th, if you show up for the 8.30 service, you'll be early for the 9. If you show up for the 10.30 service, you'll be early for the 11. And if you show up for the 12.30 service, you probably won't do it again. So there's the good news, all right? Okay, this is week five of our sermon series called Bruh, where we're walking through the New Testament letter uh, in the Bible called James, written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. He was also the leader of the first century Christian church in Jerusalem. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes this letter in scripture that is just full of statements that make you kind of sit back and say, what? Bruh. Bruh. Like we've looked at some stuff that's, that's hard to wrestle with in our faith. If you've missed any of those sermons, you can go back and watch or listen to them online. I would encourage you to do that. For our main scripture today, we're going to jump to James chapter 4, uh, James 4 verses 1 through 10. If you don't own a Bible, uh, you can download a free one called Version from any app store, or you can pick one up if you're here in person out at guest services. We'll give you an actual hard copy of, of a Bible. James's teaching today reminds me of that portion of President Carter's speech in 1979, which is why I started with that. Uh, President Carter said, too many of us now tend to worship self-indulgence and consumption Or in other words, the words I'm going to use today, too many of us are devoted to ourselves. And it's it's limiting how close we can draw to God. In fact, here's the big idea for today. When I'm devoted to myself, I limit how close I can draw to God. When I'm devoted to myself, which which we all, me included, 
have a tendency to do, when we do that, we actually limit how close we can draw to God. Now, that matters a lot more to some people than it does others, right? I'm a pretty gullible guy, but I'm not gullible enough to believe that all of us today want to draw close to God. That's just not statistically a, re- a reality. So, so if that's you, you don't want to draw close to God, you're here. <laughs> and that's a huge, huge thing. And we, we're so glad you're here. We, we love it that you're here. We love you, even if you never have that desire or not. But for those of us like myself, where I do have a desire to draw closer to God, or for those who one day want would want to draw close to God. Like we, we have to know the answer to this big question that we're asking today, and it's this. What can we do to draw close to God? What can we do to draw closer to God? Big, not just for the sermon, big question, but it's a big question, right? So before we dive into the scripture, uh, let's pause and pray and ask for God's help today. Lord, um, we, <laughs> we are human beings that tend to indulge and be devoted to ourselves. That is just the human condition. But Lord, by the power of your spirit, I believe you can help change that. We can't do it without you. And so Lord, even as we just read your word today, I pray that you would do as you promise, that your word would be alive and active, sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, that you'd cut us to the very core of who we are. Lord, where there's conviction, bring it. Where there's um, encouragement, bring it. But Lord, at the end, we we just want your will to be spoken into our, our hearts. So in this moment right now, Lord, we just, we ask for your power, for your anointing, and for your authority to be on this place And in my words, in Jesus' name, amen. James 4, starting in verse 1, James, the half-brother of Jesus, says this. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Nobody quarrels and fights today, right? Didn't they come from, don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your, what's the word there? Your motives. You don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Bruh, yeah. When I'm devoted to myself, I limit how close I can draw to God. So what can I do to draw closer to God? There are, as you know, tons of things we could talk about today. Many of them good. Many of them we've talked about in this series already. But if we're just, if I'm as a a good preacher today, just sticking to this text here, okay? In this text, the first thing I see is is that word I had you kind of highlight. It's this, to draw close to God, I've got to check my motives, i got to check my motives. James said, there are some things we don't receive from God because our motives are all wrong. And he really drills down in these verses on the motivations of jealousy, greed, and selfishness. 
He even said, sometimes when we don't get what we want, we scheme and kill to get it. Which some people are probably thinking, that's a tad extreme, isn't it? I've never killed somebody for something. But like, like how often have we seen this play out? Albert Barnes, great theologian, provided some helpful commentary on, on just that one phrase. He said this, this expression, scheme and kill, is to be taken in the sense of having a murderous disposition or fostering a brutal and murderous spirit. It is not exactly that they killed or committed murder. It simply means, check this out, that the spirit of murder is at the bottom of our selfish desires, of our jealous desires. Like, bruh. The spirit of murder is at the root of our jealous desires. But we've, we've seen this, right? Like, like how many people have been killed over jealousy, envy, and greed? Like, like someone wants what they don't have or what they can't have, and so they scheme and kill to get it. Or, or to keep it on a lighter note, they trample someone on Black Friday to get the TV on sale. Right? I say lighter note, but it's pretty foolish, isn't it? Our culture today, we, we know this, right? Our culture today is built around the desire for more, and our culture is a master at feeding that desire. Did you know that we see around 5,000 advertisements a day? 5,000. Shopping is now literally the number one leisure activity in America, replacing the previous number one holder, which was religion. Shopping's taking the place of faith in American culture. Social media is literally just one long list of everyone else's highlight reel that feeds the demon of comparison in all of us. Nobody puts their crap on social media. They put their highlights. And then we think, why don't I have what they have? And what we don't see is the damage behind the delight they are posting. And while, yes, this desire for more has always been around, we see that in James, it's become an insatiable beast, particularly in America, and there's a reason behind it. Like, this is not by accident our American desire for more, 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 bigger, 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 better, better, better. In the 1920s, 1920s, that was a long time ago, Paul Mazur, who was a Wall Street banker, he worked for Lehman Brothers, he's attributed with this quote from the 1920s. We must shift America from a needs to a desires culture. People must be trained to desire, to want new things, even before the old have been entirely consumed. We must shape a new mentality. Man's desire must overshadow his needs. It's kind of scary. Wall Street banker from the 1920s saying, we got to shift America to want more. Why? Because he make more money. I mean, I'm guilty of this. I have a fully functioning iPhone. But when the new one comes out, even though mine works perfectly, I'm convinced I need what? A new one. 
Because so-and-so posted beautiful pictures on their social media with theirs, and I want pictures like they have on their social media. We, we can trace even the iPhone craze back to 1920. And it gets scarier. Um, following World War II, Edward Bernay, you can actually look this up, he was an intelligent officer in the war, and he was now in need of a job. And what he recognized was that if the propaganda tactics uh, that was used by Nazi Germany to manipulate people into killing minorities, if that worked in wartime, the same tactics could be used in peacetime to get Americans to buy things they don't need. This new idea was called public relations instead of propaganda, and it became the so-called birthplace or father of American advertising. Like, let that sink in. American advertising as we know it has its roots in the manipulation tactics of Nazi Germany that convinced people to herd human beings into gas chambers and kill them. Bruh. Or as James says, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. I figured it'd be tense in the room today. John Mark Comer, pastor in Portland and author of a book I think every Christian should read called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It has changed my life and our family's life. He said this, at some point, you have to draw a line in the sand and say, I'm good. I don't need another pair of shoes, another decorator item for my bookshelf, another toy for my garage, another day at the spa. I have enough. What I really need is time to enjoy what I already have with God. It's, this cuts me, church. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching with you, not to you. Okay? James challenges us to check our motives when it comes to our stuff in life. And please, please hear me. I'm holding my own iPhone, okay? There's nothing wrong with having things. There's nothing wrong with having nice things in life. God does not want us to be poor. He wants us to be content. There's a difference. So there's nothing wrong with having nice things. The, the, the problem becomes when, when those things or even the desire for those things, if I don't have them, when those things start to have me, when they control me, that's when it becomes a problem. So here's a few practical things you might consider doing to help check your motives and keep your motives in check. You might consider going on a spending fast where you choose a month, two months, three months, even some people have done it up to a year, where you literally cut out all unnecessary spending and only purchase things that are needs, food, clothing, and shelter. Needs, not desires when it comes to clothing. Food, clothing, shelter, what are your needs? And you only do that for a, a set amount of time. My wife and I have done this on multiple occasions. Um, it, is, it, it truly is life-changing. It really helps reset your brain on what's actually a needs purchase and a desires purchase. We did a whole podcast on it if you want to go listen to that. You might read The Ruthless Elimination of, uh, of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Only read it if you want your life to be messed up. It is unbelievable. 
I highly recommend it. You might watch Social Dilemma on Netflix. It's all about how social media has literally, was literally created to control how we operate as humans. It's alarming. And then two other Netflix by the same people, the minimalists, uh, you can watch Minimalism and Less Is Now, both of them really, really helpful in challenging the way we view things when it comes to life. You might take an honest look at how you manage your money. Like, how are you, man- are you managing according to God's principles found in Scripture? Or are you, are you overspending, spending beyond your means as now you're piling up debt to purchase things you don't need to impress people you don't even like? It's really pretty much what we do. You, you might consider starting to give back to God what he asks of us in Scripture to give, the tithe. The first 10% of everything God blesses me with through the, the payment for my labor, which is being your pastor, I give gladly back the first 10% to his church as a sign that I trust him and a way for me to worship him. Why? Because he asked me to. And when I give God 10% back of everything he gives me, it sure checks my motives on what I do with the rest of it. I got to manage it well. And then he pours his blessing on, you might consider giving. And look, if you're, if you're a non-believer today, I'm not talking to you. You can give, you can, but it's not a requirement for you. If you're a guest with us, I'm not talking to you. If you are truly unable, you have nothing, zero dollars to, to give. I'm, not, I'm, not talk, I'm talking to Christians in the room that you call some church your home, but you are refusing to begin to let go of what God's given you. It might be time to start giving to God. Through your church, maybe, maybe you can't start at 10%. I get that. Start somewhere with a goal of getting to what God asked us. I didn't ask, God did for 10. He could have asked for 90 and we keep 10, but he asked for 10 and we keep 90. Thank you, Lord. So you, you, you might consider that. Maybe if you don't I, don't, I don't trust the church. I get that. The church, God's church has done many things to make us untrustworthy. Then gift, start by giving to a charity that's doing good work around the world. Start by giving to, to a charity who's serving the needs of, of Afghanistan or serving the needs of our military brothers and sisters who have fallen. And my heart breaks for the recent lives we've lost both our own and those in Afghanistan. It's it's heartbreaking. And there's great organizations that are serving those needs. Or or, or, or organizations serve the needs of Haiti that that went through the earthquake and then a tropical storm or now Hurricane Ida is barreling down on the Louisiana coast and we're going to need things that, like, just take some of what God's given you. And many of you do this so well. You are a generous church. But when, I, when I'm looking at how we can check my motives, a lot of it is just starting to hold my stuff like this. Lord, what do you want to do with it? And, and you use it. Because it's all yours anyway. So, so tell me what to do with what you gave me, Lord, and, and check my motives. That's check your motives on everything you're pursuing in life. Why? Because when I'm devoted to myself, I limit how close I can draw to God. And I'm telling you, I say this lovingly as your pastor, For some of us in the room, the way you are handling your money and your stuff is keeping you from being closer to God. And I don't want that for you. I don't want it for me. 
So James continues, James 4, 4 through 6, if you're hoping it gets better, it doesn't. James says this right off the bat, you adulterers. (laughs) I'm not saying that James did. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? Bruh. I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit God's placed within us should be faithful to him, and he gives grace generously. Praise the Lord in heaven. Finally, some good news, right? But it gets bad again. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That word opposes in the original Greek language it was written means this, to range against in battle, to set one's self against, or to square off. That when I choose to be a friend with the world, the ways of the world, I become an enemy of God. God squares himself off against me. Dude, Lord, help us. Lord, help us. So the second thing I got to do to draw close to God, again, sticking to our text here, is this. I got to change my friendships. <laughs> got to change my friendships. And when I say change friendships, I'm not necessarily talking about like actual friends. That, that might be the case. But, and, and we'll get into that here in, in a second. I'm talking about my relation to the ways of and the things of this world. If I want to draw near to God, I must avoid being a friend with the world. I got to change my friendships, or as the Apostle John said it, couldn't say it any better. John said this in 1 John 5, 21. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Pretty much sums it up. And what is it that takes God's place in our hearts? Well, we've talked about money and possessions. That could be that. It might be pride. Trying to maintain an image to everyone else so they think you are one thing, but you never reveal who you really are inside or what you're going through. It could be power or control. It might be an actual relationship, like a physical relationship. It could even be your spouse or your kids if you have a spouse or children. This does not mean, by the way, that we should get rid of our spouse. Pastor Jeff said I should get rid of my spouse. <laughs> doesn't mean we should get rid of our spouse or neglect our kids. Far from it. The Bible's abundantly clear that we should love our spouse as Christ loved us. We should care for, honor, provide for, love, cherish our, our children, raise them up in the way of the Lord. But for a lot of people, even our spouse or our kids... Or, or some other relationship, at the very least, is threatening to take God's place in our hearts. Now, listen, I cannot imagine, I, I can't fathom my life without my wife. We've been together for 24 years of marriage, five years before that day. I can't imagine that. I understand some of you have experienced that loss, which is tragic beyond words. And some people may not like me saying this, but it's never stopped me before. That while I might love my wife, Sabrina, more than any other human being on the planet, and I do, until I get to the place in my heart 
where I no longer need her for me to be alive or for me to experience life until I get there. She will always be a threat to take God's place in my heart. Just last week, I was talking with a member of our church who's a widow. It's been almost three years now for them. Through her tears, she told me, it took my husband dying for me to realize that Jesus is all I need. Then she said, I've apologized over and over to God that it took the death of my husband for me to realize how much I already had with him. She continued, I feel like I missed out on so much of God because I put so much focus on my husband. Thankfully, if that person's listening today, God's grace is abundant. His grace is abundant. The same thing's true with our kids, by the way, if you have them. And, and again, some of, some of us in the, our church recently have experienced the loss of children, which is tragic again beyond words. I'm not minimalizing in any way that pain. It's excruciating. God grieves with us in our grief, but on the flip side, there are many parents out there, even Christian ones, who are so invested into their kids that it has cost them investing in their own health, their own marriage, or worse, their own relationship with God. And so here's my challenge to all the parents today. Your kids, my kids, our kids, if they are physically and mentally able to do so, they will eventually leave the home. That is the goal, by the way. They'll eventually leave the home. And when they do, please make sure that there isn't a void left behind in you that should have only been filled with the Lord Jesus himself. James says friendship with the world or the ways of the world makes us enemies of God. And sadly, it's often the actual relationships we have in this world that end up taking the place of God in our hearts. It happens unintentionally. But we slip into these modes of, I need them or I need that for me to have life. I just heard yesterday, Pastor Tony Evans, he was preaching a sermon and he said this, you don't have to attend the first church of Satan to worship Satan. All you have to do is turn your attention to something or someone else besides God for what you need. And in doing that, you are worshiping Satan. <laughs> Bruh. I was out walking yesterday listening to that, and I stopped, literally stopped dead in my tracks. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. James ends our main scripture with, I think, some practical advice. James 4, 7 through 10, he says this, so, or literally, in light of everything I just told you, James is saying, humble yourselves before God. Resist 
the devil and he will flee from you. That's a promise you can take to the bank. I resist you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. You can say it, you can stand on it, and he must flee from you. Come close to God, James says, and God will come close to you. I'm running out of time, but as I was even going over my notes this last week, I was, I was just shook by the reality that God wants to be close to me. Like, really? God, you want to be close to me? Lord, anything in my life that gets in between that, would you please remove it? Help me surrender it? Like, that, that, should, that should boggle our minds. That God wants to be close with us. And yet we're just putting up roadblocks all along the way. So, so draw close, come close to God, God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts for your loyalties divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. And then he says it again, humble yourselves before the Lord. He will lift you up in honor. So the third thing we've got to do to draw close to God is just choose to be humble before him. Choose to be humble before him. Someone said humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. So how, how do we do that? How do we draw close to God? How do we resist the devil? How do we humble ourselves before him? I think the answer is sandwiched in the middle of, of these verses. James says, wash your hands, you sinners. <laughs> so if there is known sin in your life, confess it. Ask God to forgive it. Repent of it, which repent means to turn and go the opposite direction. So repent of it and then ask God to give you power to not go back to that. I, I would literally, I would just ask all of us right now to ask the Lord, Lord, is there any sin in my life that's keeping me from drawing close to you? Is there any jealousy, selfishness, Greed, envy. If you know, and most likely if you're a believer and there is some unconfessed sin, you're going to know it right away. Ask God to forgive you of that. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for this thing that you've pointed out in my life. I, forgive me of it. I, I, I repent. I'm going to turn. I, I need help to not go that direction anymore. Then James said, purify your hearts for your loyalties divided between God and the world. So ask God, are there friendships I have made with the ways of the world that are affecting my relationship with you? Am I holding on too tightly to my spouse, to my kids, to that romantic partner, to friends? Am I holding on to power or control? Pride? I'm, I'm putting up an image that's not real to those around me because I don't want to reveal what's actually going on inside of me. Am I holding on too tightly to money, possessions? Is my loyalty divided? If so, 
Lord, would you not just forgive me, but would you please purify that part of my life? Fill my heart completely with the power of your Holy Spirit. Unite all of my heart with yours. I surrender to you. Every part that you've revealed, I surrender to your lordship in me. Check your motives. Change your friendships. Choose to be humble. It's not easy. But it's the, it's the way that James says we can actually draw close to God. I'll, I'll let you know as your pastor, this is a challenging word to bring. <laughs> challenging because I know it's going to hit most of us square in the face, including the one preaching it. And I don't, I don't want roadblocks. I don't want to be the cause of roadblocks in my life between God and me being as close as we possibly can. But sometimes to get rid of those roadblocks, got to check my motives. Got to change some friendships with the world. And I've got to choose to humble myself before the Lord and ask him to lift me up in honor. I love you guys. I'm so thankful that you're a church that lets me deliver the hard words as well as the good ones, the easy ones. And this is hard, so I'm praying that we can each take it to heart and put it into practice. If you need prayer for anything today, you can stop by the purple tent all the way in the back of the auditorium. Somebody will pray for you there. You can also, if you're watching online, you can text us, you can call us, you can email us, you can get on social media. We'll make sure and pray for you. And if you want to talk to somebody about what it means to put your faith in Jesus, Jesus who died in our place, rose from the dead, and will come back one day. If you want to talk about that, you can find a staff member, ask a volunteer to get you to one. You can stop by the purple tent in the back. You can reach out online. We'll talk to you about that. Father in heaven, thanks for, thanks for wanting us. And Lord, I pray, I'm just going to pray for myself. Lord, I pray there'd be nothing in my life that I would want more than you. Nothing. As we sang earlier, I pray it be true for myself. Jesus, you're all I need. We love you and we give you all praise. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys are dismissed. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast or follow us on social media. To learn more about our gathering times in Cheyenne, Wyoming, or to take your next step, visit our website, elementchurch.life. Thanks for tuning in. Catch you next week right here on the Element Church Podcast.